Hello again, Paul Carenza here, you there. Paul Savage is on this episode as well. It's catching up with me, Paul Carenza, saying hello and what are you doing to various different people. And this time it's comedian, illustrator, comic book writer and boat owner, Paul Savage. Coming soon, other people. Uh, Tony Vino, Gareth Jones, David Hamilton. Yes, did he, David Hamilton? Uh, he's a guest on my other podcast, The British Broadcasting Century, and I thought we'd put the full interview on here. Yes, legends, I tell you. Uh, plus, we've got comedians, poets, people with no connection whatsoever to showbiz. And indeed, if you want to be a guest yourself, do get in touch. Paul at paulcarenza.com. Hey, that's what Paul Savage did. He's a friend of mine. He wanted to catch up. I thought, let's record it and put it out here. So here he is talking about creativity under lockdown and, well, everything that spins off that. I hope you enjoy. And if you like the sound of Paul Savage, do buy his book. The link is in the show notes. So here in this latest series of conversations just put out there for you, it's Paul Savage. One of the things I was thinking of uh, doing with the when I everything came to a crashing halt uh, in March last year was, uh, so I moved in with my sister and took care of her two small children uh, who were two and four, and, uh, but they go to bed at um, like seven o'clock. So I was like, ah, oh, in the evening, I shall podcast. I shall have the, this idea that I've had for years and I shall draw comics. And just none of that happened because I was just so um, exhausted from uh, childcare. Yeah. which is, I mean, I've always known is a difficult thing. I've never wanted but like, but, you know, there's certain things in the culture of, you know, like, oh, stay at home, parents, cool, they, oh, they've got it easy. No, it's really difficult. Like um, trying to teach as well, you're obviously doing uh, yeah, of some of the home, the home learning. But um, I remember having a uh, chat with the four-year-old. She'd got her sheets that they'd sent home from school. And, um, going like just literally could not get her to focus at all just like making stupid noises and I was like are you like this for uh Miss Bar your teacher and she was just like oh absolutely not of mm. course I'd never be like this oh well, thank you if I'm honest I think the frustration we've had here the frustration we've had has been when we hear from people who aren't in this situation and they go has this put you off being a teacher then has it put you off you know <laughs> turns out you don't know as much physics due to see as you thought and and you end up thinking Actually, it's not about the lack of teaching. I could do the teaching. What I, is tricky is yeah. doing the teaching of two different ages and also trying to do my own work at the same time. And yeah. that combination is problematic. It's just when you, you know, this isn't homeschooling, really, is it? You know, I know someone who homeschools like in normal yeah. times. And that is when you focus entirely on just you are teaching the kids. Uh, also, you're teaching what you want as well rather than a syllabus dictated to you by the school, whether it's handouts or video calls or whatever. But, you know, you are saying, hey, let's today we're going to go and walk in nature and learn about that stuff. Or today, cooking in the morning and, you know, French in the afternoon, whatever. But, but yeah, working someone else's syllabus on, you know, your own boss's timetables is difficult. This is lockdown life in all of its gritty glory, isn't it? So, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, but it has been difficult moving these things around of taking what your sort of, skills are and like even for someone like you and I who are both uh creative types and are used to flighting by the seat of our pants with an idea of going yes I will do this thing for fun this one will pay money this yeah. one will uh will be a thing that I can turn into something at some point and then just but like the stability generally has been the X amount you make from the comedy circuit or mm. from 
regular writer jobs. And yeah, they, and that's the bit that's gone. Really. Disappeared, like yeah, it's part part of the fun of life stand ups gone, but also that there was a regularity to it. Unlike you know, it's odd how the right people often think maybe wrongly. I don't know that the writing side of things is more reliable because it's stay at home and it's sturdy. Um, whereas the stand up feels you know crazy and eclectic, and that's not a real yeah. job, surely. Whereas oddly, that's more predictable and reliable than than the other stuff really so there's the stand-up going means suddenly like well all oh, right it's little projects it's weird projects time now yeah and it's um the the, the thing with weird projects is you don't know what makes money uh because mm. if you did you would have already been doing it for a while the podcast market was a a fairly crowded marketplace anyway mm. and then a hundred other people jumped on and went oh, yeah. oh actually yeah uh, i need an income uh, and lots of people who who were doing all right um you know reasonably famous people have now gone yeah we're gonna podcast from our house and um you go cool i've got to compete with the people who are on the office and yeah uh, the the sort of and everyone's you know um especially if they're doing stuff there's only a certain amount of advertising money in the podcast mm. game there's oh, the rest of it is paid for by people doing you know stuff like patreon or um uh, sort of these little you know voluntary co buy me a coffee on uh that sort of thing and again that's a limited amount of money that can be sloshing around it is so you can go yeah this guy he created his own podcast and it, it, he gets twenty thousand pounds a, uh, a month for people donating and you get it's brilliant for him but like I can't replicate that. It's the same with um, lots of things. I, I know uh, so many people who, um, uh, for instance, I uh, am a cartoonist. I draw comics. And uh, I know so many people who are like, oh, I don't like comics. Um, and I always think, well, you've not had the right introduction. You've not read the the right ones in the same way that, you know, uh, certain people who don't like reading books probably mm. haven't read the ones that, you know, would have ticked off their little things. You know, um, I think the way we teach, uh, I think it has got better in the last 20 years, but where you, I remember when I was at primary school, uh, there was definitely a thing of, Oh, you're reading books with pictures in. Right. Yeah. What's like, are you too stupid to be able to read the proper stuff? And you go, no, actually it's a whole different thing. It's its own, uh, its own language and its own visual uh, texture. And it's a, it's a, it's a different thing to reading our book, you know? Yeah. Um, It's a, in the same way that, you know, watching um, an animated film, is a different thing to watching a film. It doesn't yeah. mean necessarily that it's, you know, just because it was coded for children back in the day doesn't mean there aren't great animated films that are coded for adults. And it doesn't mean that there's, you know, live action kid stuff that's not great as well. You know, the, I think we sometimes get into our heads that, you know, one thing is uh, for us, one thing isn't for us. And yeah, um, I mean, it's yeah, it's the same with, uh, I, I know loads of people who are like, oh yeah, I really love stand-up when you tell them you're a comedian. And they go, oh, you go, oh great. And they're like, yeah, I went, oh, it must have been five years ago. Mm. And then there's other people who, who are going, you know, week in, week out. And yeah. um, Well, there's there's a comedian, well, one of the things with the stand-up boom is there's a comedian for everyone now. It used to be, yes. like my mum could think of, I don't know, maybe uh, Billy Connolly and 
maybe Jasper Carrot, possibly Lee Evans. Yeah. And then now she could name you 50 comedians and you go, oh, I don't quite like David Mitchell, but, you know, I prefer a bit of that James A. Caster. And you know, everyone's yeah. got their niche now if you just need to try it and, and find it. Yes, and that's the uh, sort of beautiful thing of the democratisation of um, the internet. Um, but also one of the slightly upsetting things is um, it does force that onto you, the creator, to be making the thing like because you're just like oh i'm just going to plan my own furrow and you have to be like no i've got to market my own furrow as well uh i've got to plan my own furrow and then put the seeds in and then tell everyone about my lovely corn and i'm going to spend three times as much time telling people about my lovely corn as just plowing which is the bit i enjoy i don't know if anyone enjoys enjoy plowing i think that metaphor lost it at a certain point but tell me about uh your book and indeed books and all of those things, what's available, what will be available, and all that jazz. Uh, so it's my book. It's called um, But Doctor, I Am a Collection of Comic Strips by Paul Savage, um, which nice. is, if yeah, if, if that reference is exactly niche enough for you, that you're probably going to like the rest <laughs> of the book. It's uh, lots of little uh, one- and three-panel comics that I drew. Um, there was a, so I put two books of them out um, previously, sort of about – uh 2013 2015 right. and then always meant to keep drawing and then just didn't because um fundamentally quite lazy and uh then as it got to um uh september this year realized that um i had no income and because uh, the kids had gone back to school mm. and uh needed some sort of thing to do with because the gigs were coming back in gently but not to any sort of level i'd been keeping basically a folder on my phone of like that's an idea for whenever you get around to uh starting drawing comics again you know the sort of vague wording of it or that's a funny little idea for it and so i just was like right what i'll do is i'll um i'll smash through those and so i um because i live on a boat in london uh normally uh, but it's not the most conducive atmosphere to um, working. So I... Uh, we'll come back to the boat then. That sounds... We, this, there's a talking yeah. point in the boat, certainly, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, and so one of the things I did was just... Um, I moved back to my parents for two weeks and um, smashed through it, like took my um, ADHD medicine properly and uh, stayed up and like had a proper working thing and... Um, did a Kickstarter for it, which helped because that way there's a, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? A, a deadline and a, you'd be letting people down if you didn't yeah. give them something for the money that you Makes you do it, it? Yeah, exactly. Mm. There was, um, um, and that way it was, it was forcing me to do it in a way that I can't force myself to do work, if yeah. you know what I mean. Uh, having... Um, a useful deadline, something to, to just say, you need to start work at this point. You need to, uh, you need to do eight comics today and you've done, you didn't do enough yesterday. So mm. push through. And, um, it was quite nice. Actually, it was, it was a nice way to, you know, um, sit and have my headphones on for three, four hours. And because people have already paid into the Kickstarter, you feel like you are basically paying yourself a wage, 
so this is your job and you don't need to get distracted with other stuff, which is the, I think one of the things that distracts me a lot from general self-employment is pitching for other work is to yeah. have, um, cause I've never properly had, uh, an agent, you know, uh, to, uh, I've had people looking after parts of my diary before, mm. but, um, never had anyone be so controlled over it that, that, that I don't need to worry about it, you know? And, um, that, that sort of thing of being able to just go, right, cool. You don't, there are no gigs. There's nothing's going to be happening yeah. in six months time. So you don't need to put work in your, in your diary for six months time. Um, because the work that you put into the diary six months ago doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So <laughs> there's no, well, there's no, there's no point expending your emotional energy on that. Why don't that's you? true. That's yeah. that's one way. It does ease up some pressure, doesn't it? From oh, I yeah, must yeah. get in touch with that promoter. No, not right now. Yeah, not really. Exactly. So only, uh, only to check how they are. That's the only reason. Exactly. And yeah. um, some of the social media stuff, I fooled myself into believing that I was on there for a reason because I do get a fair amount of work from, you know, uh, the this boards on the facebook pages of comedy clubs going we need someone tonight can you get in the car and you're like yes i can and that you know could be several thousand pounds over the course of a year the amount i get from that and so that is justified that i am on there numerous hours a day and then you get to a point yeah. where you're like there's no gigs you don't need to be on this you're you good are point. wasting you are wasting your own time you're like oh yeah oh, okay cool um yeah. i don't need to be on there i can log out i can just sit and do three hours work and I was uh, uh, listen to an album that I've not listened to in yeah, for well, that helps so long. Yeah, I was chatting to a writer this week uh, who's trying to write a, I think, I think her first novel, and her advice uh, that she's just taken on from a writing tutor was not to, you know, people often say to writers, oh, you should read more, read more books because mm. you know writers need to be readers. And I, I, for a while, I wasn't really reading many books, and I thought I do need to read more. You're right, but her advice was the opposite. She said, I've decided I'm not going to read anything at all in this week not not forever but just for this week i'm not going to read anything and if i find myself reading something you know slap on the wrist and get back to writing and and i thought that's a bit draconian you've got to read to be a writer surely Mm. and then i thought well actually no she's not really just talking about reading books because if i just read books that would be a marvelous thing but i'm reading you know i'm doom scrolling on twitter and facebook and reading bbc news articles and uh and all those things and i'm reading uh, the odd bit of a page of a book now and then but 99% 99% of my reading has to be social media or Wikipedia rabbit holes. And that can go. I don't need that really as much as I'm currently doing. When the first gardens were done in the 18th century, the sort of ornamental ones, they put all these, like the big rich land owners put all these trees in like very nice order. Mm. And then they all died about three years later because you need a certain amount of um, growth stuff in there. You need um, bushes and leaves falling off and the um, mulch and the worms and the the bugs in the leaf litter Mm. coming through. Um, um, Whereas these are all sort of like, you put plant the tree, you put a lawn around it, you scrape it all down to be perfect, like inch high grass and, uh it's sterile and you don't get anything from that and so there's a part of me that goes yeah i should be mucking around because the amount of times an idea hits you in the back of the head 
and you go, oh yeah, that's perfect. And there is a nexus point for that of you watching a thing or seeing a thing and, mm. and just going, oh yeah, that's something I can grab onto that. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, the amount of times that I've written jokes on social media because somebody else has misused a phrase or they've, uh, and you've gone, oh, that's a easy enough phrase to jump on. I mean, the one that I, um, um, it's the second joke that I do when I'm um, uh, gigging, which is the, 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 cause I always do two jokes right at the start just to, a, prove I can do a joke and B, prove it wasn't an accident and then you right. made them laugh twice and then <laughs> yes. the audience are more likely to be on your side. So I did an online gig last week and, it, you know, with a proper audience there on Zoom and, uh, and and one of the other comedians on was doing some old stuff I'd not heard for, for years. I thought, oh, yeah, good. He's doing, he's digging deep and doing the old stuff. I've got a story that would fit this bit now. So I mentally le- leapt to that. And I started it, and it's quite a long, got you know, a good couple of minutes in, which is on the long side for a, a stage story. Mm. And um, I just reached that point, and I could see it coming on the horizon. Like I don't know what how this ends. <laughs> I can't remember. I used to do it all the time, yeah. and I just reached that dead end. And I had to do that thing of just go, and I've comp- I just I've just forgotten it, so we'll move on. Mm. <laughs> and they sort of did an awkward laugh and moved on. And um, the other comedian yeah. afterwards said uh, said said, "Oh yeah, I thought that was because you you just realised it was a rude punchline and you pretended you forgot it." And nope, just just no. forgot it. It's been yeah. a year, and I'm now in my forties, and uh, you know yeah. I can't remember things anymore. It's very interesting, actually, looking back at some of the uh, jokes that I used to do and uh, realising that they are structurally fine, that you just can't get away with them because you're not in that stage of life anymore. Whereas um, when I was doing jokes when I was um, three, four years into comedy, when I was 27, Mm. I I would have been like... um, you know, I'm drinking too much and I've rubbish with girls and I'm like, oh, I keep getting fired from jobs. And yeah. the jo- the jokes are still structurally valid. But when you're 37, people are like, all right, you need to have worked on some of this stuff, please. <laughs> like, mm. you yeah. can't you can't be this pointless little man child anymore. Um, I was having a little. I don't know what I'm doing with my. Like I should have been, I think I should have done more out of lockdown. And he was like, "You wrote a book and mm. were like, and were uh, was a full time nanny for six exactly. months. Exactly, like, you've educated, and you, yeah, yeah." And you're like, "Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's uh, something. yeah, that's yeah." Something. And it's just because I've not started because um, all of my mates are doing streaming online, and mm. you know, and I I didn't I did about two three online gigs and I didn't like them, and the two things you can do with that is you go, right, well, I'm going to find a method that I like and do it better. I'm going to invest some time and energy into learning how to play um, Zoom gigs in the same way that you used to have to learn how to play the horrible clubs. You know, there's, um, uh, I'm not saying that uh, this is just the first one that came to mind. uh, And um and I, I know that not all of them were horrible, but people used to have sets for jonglers, you know, Absolutely, because yeah. uh, it was a, a big club Saturday night full of staggered hens. And when they weren't, when they were with you, yeah, really mm-hmm. great nights. Um, when they weren't, it was really tough and it was horrible. And people uh, went, is this what I got into comedy for to be mm. heckled and abused by people who don't really know what they're 
what they want. And people went, okay, you just have to learn to play it or learn to not play to be booked for those clubs, you know. Well, and back in uh, the uh, in the glory days of stand-up, I remember that people would, you know, you could do jonglers so often that some comedians would say, oh, I'm trying to make sure I only do jonglers, you know, once a month or maybe twice a month at a push because they'll have me four weekends a month. And, you know, I, yep. if I do that, I become that sort of comedian and once a month yes. is enough for me because it pays nicely or whatever. And then the rest of the, you know, I'll do nicer art center gigs that don't pay as well, but I can work on my craft uh, as if we could be so picky uh, <laughs> even in the last five, 10 years, you know, that was the sort of yeah. early noughties when you could actually take your pick and go, oh, yes, no, thank you. Jonglers once a month is enough for me. And now we go, please anything just yeah. send me some live audiences. You know, I remember uh, talking to Gordon Southern uh, about the sort of boom days of, uh, stand up in the sort of late nineties, early two thousands, and him saying he lost ten grand, one Edinburgh, and didn't even notice because he earned that in a week of doing student oh, gigs. Uh, wow. Immediately after, in the freshers' week, it was just sort of like, and it was money in, money out. He went, "Yep, that." But for those two periods, mm. I made rough, like I made a rough profit. I paid the mortgage. Who, who even really noticed? And you're just like, that's insane but that was just the money was sloshing around then and then uh everyone sort of noticed that that probably wasn't sustainable but different I mean, times I think, well mm. i think partly it's just there's so much more of everything not there was what there would have been five channels there would have been uh you know five five channels a cd cost 10 quid yeah uh, and so you and a gig cost a couple of quid to go see so yeah you could mm. go do these things whereas now it's more yeah i'm gonna spend my money sensibly or because you know there's certain stuff i look at where you go oh my book costs 10 quid that is a month's worth of netflix mm. uh, i don't exactly know how much netflix is but you, you know okay so i've got to make it value for money i've got to be entertaining throughout um because I'm aware yeah. that people are putting their money into one thing or another. I'm, I'm not saying that my thing is as good as an entire uh, month's worth of Netflix, but there was a lot of work mm. went into it. Please buy my book. Well, that's exactly. <laughs> well, there's a lot of competition now for for, yeah. for culture, cultural ears and eyes and stuff, isn't there? And, the, and on, a, on the one hand, I'm I'm despondent because obviously you look back at those early days of the the naughty stand up circuit and think we will not see the like of those uh, gigs again and. Um, the the gigs that were pretty well paid, they'd look after you, get you a nice hotel, you'd be there in the jacuzzi on a Saturday morning, having had a nice show the night before and a good show the next night. And that's not happened for for a, a good decade and a bit, you know, in the main, it seems. But, and let alone after this, when the gigs do come back, they won't be, you know, the, the glory days are gone in many ways. Mm. So on the one hand, that's despondent. But on the more hopeful side, I suppose, I think, yeah, but back then there weren't podcasts and the ability to do ebooks in quite the same way. And, you know, let alone this live streaming thing, if that persists or whatever, there's, you know, there's so many more outlets. We couldn't make things for YouTube or Twitch or TikTok in the same way as we could then. Yeah. And obviously, some of these can be a bit of a race to the bottom in terms of financing them and how you actually get paid. But, you know, p- people do break through on those. And, you know, there is a way to both earn a living, but also satisfy that that cultural thing of, of performing and writing and getting stuff out there in a different way. So it's a changing marketplace. We've got to roll with it. You, you've got oh, no yeah. choice in a way. So, um, you know, you can and, hopefully see it optimistically and, and embrace it. Yeah. And there's loads of stuff um, where I look at it now of, um, 
because I didn't just make books. I made sort of T-shirts and mugs and stuff. And um, there's no gatekeepers to that. You can, like, if you wanted 20 years ago to have a mug that people can buy, you probably have to write a funny thing, write a hundred different ones, take them to, you know, Clinton's or whatever and say, I would like to have funny mm. things written on mugs. And they'd go, cool, we think these four are the best. And you go, I'm not sure they are, but okay. <laughs> and then they, they'd make 25,000 of them. They'd put them in Clinton stores around the country. You'd probably get a check for it at the end, but you'd make maybe, I don't know, a quid on each mug. And nowadays you can just go, right, I'm going to go do, uh, I'm going to, do some funny tweets and I'm going to stick a link to my mugs underneath the mm. ones that pop off and yeah. go, yeah, you could like the, I mean, the amazing stuff of like, you see a viral tweet and then underneath it, they've just gone, Hey, I'm also doing this if you want it. And then <sighs> that's, that's now a legitimate way to make a living. I got an iPad for Christmas um, for drawing more. Um, and one of the rules of it is it is for work. It's not a, right not a fun thing there's no yeah, game okay. there's no games installed on it there's no like if i'm putting books on it it's for that sort of um and they don't have to be like educational necessarily but they are you but know it's for work it's some, a, something in there where to it's make like, it a tax expense yes i yeah, understand yeah. Yes, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. yeah i get it i get it <laughs> yeah there's that as well um, <laughs> but yeah it's, yeah you can definitely prove it's for work then you, yeah it's a it's a valued object but I know what you mean. There is a, also, I mean, separately from the finances, there is a, a certain value in keeping certain things as work and separating that from uh, from fun stuff. And that includes workspace. You know, people say don't don't try not to work in your yeah. bedroom if you can help it. Um, yeah. You know, I've got bookshelves uh, for work stuff, or a researchy bookshelf, and I've got a sort of more you know the general fun reading bookshelf. And we're not working on a project. You know, I did the history of Christmas a few years ago. That was on the work bookshelf so that yeah. I would go there for research. And I've done with the History of Christmas for now, so that's now on the general bookshelf, and I've got the History of Broadcasting uh, where that was. So that's I've got my go-to place, and it just helps, I think, um, file away the right stuff. Work there, fun there, and I can quite see the appeal of that with your device as well. Yeah, well, it's one of the things that I uh, came across by accident with doing stand-up was um, when I first started doing gigs that were – a sort of distance away. So in the first couple of years, they, uh, I had a tremendously crappy car. I think I bought it for about 400 quid and it had uh, fans rather than air con. Uh, and so in the summer, it would just push hot air around. Hmm. Uh, and you'd have the windows down a bit, but obviously if you're on the motorway, that's really noisy. So I'd get to these gigs and I'd be there with sweat circles under my arms. And I always felt that, that was quite a rude thing to do to an audience is just to <laughs> turn up with sweat circles under your arms. Like, so I started taking a t-shirt um, to change into and the, um, just the difference it made in my stage presence of uh, like you're flipping through your notes. You go, when am I on? Oh, you're on in about five minutes. Cool. I'll change into my t-shirt now. Mm. And just changing from like one t-shirt to another was a putting on work clothes. It was putting on a uniform of going to work and put you in that headspace of this is your job. This is what you're doing now. And then you're just, it was a noticeable improvement in my, mm. um, 
it, 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 in my sort of performance because it was it was like I was. I mean, it, I was still taking it seriously before that, but you 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 know what I mean. There's a there's a, a sort of like oh, that's a little twist for yeah. Yes, I can go and do that. Um, and I, I think it's a. I think it's just a good little bit of practice that I've got into. I know people who are illustrators who have um, illustrating clothes that they go around the house in. And they said that they started it because they were mucking around with paints and stuff and didn't want to ruin their good clothes. But they mm. carry on doing it, even though they're now digital artists, because yeah. it is getting in that headspace. It's getting into that work uniform. situation. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, as we we career towards uh, our conclusion here, but um, yes. what what have we learned? What have we learned? Would you like to tell us any uh, a a favourite gig story that you've been able, unable to tell in the last year due to lack of gigs? But you know, get it off your chest, um, and equally, of course, see if you can still remember it because there's every chance that you know it's gone to the back of the head now. Um, I'll tell you a story that I've only ever told on. Um, I do, it was like a storytelling night right? Um, because it's not funny enough to be a bit of stand-up. And also I don't think it's fair to the people involved. Okay. Um, so here's a story that's not funny and not fair. Lovely. Yeah. Get away. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was, um, there's a guy who I met at a gig you know, the, the, you'll know from like comedies. Occasionally, you'll meet people at gigs. You friend them on Facebook. They run a gig, and then two years down the line, they'll say, "Oh, we got a space open. Do you want to come and do our gig?" I was mm-hmm. like, "Yes, please." So, uh, it was supposed to be a fundraiser for a village hall, some uh, place in outside a little city in the uh, in England, and it was you know, uh, it's uh, Saturday afternoon, early evening. We're going to have a barbecue in the back garden then we're going to raise money for the village hall or the church hall i forget which one it was yeah and uh sort of like it's 100 quid could you bring another comedian with you as well and i was like yep that sounds absolutely perfect we can do that um and then on the morning of the gig um i get a text saying this is promoter's mom um he's not been very well so the gig's cancelled i said okay that's a shame uh but thank you for letting me know uh anything and she was just like oh he's just not been taking his medicine and he's got himself quite ill I was like, oh, okay uh, about three o'clock uh i get a text uh saying you still okay for the gig and i was like oh i heard it was cancelled and he, he was like no uh just come and pick me up from this uh postcode mm. so i get so i get my mate and we get in the car and we drive over to um to this place and uh it's the grounds of a hospital and uh, so we're looking through it and there's like, it's like the building is called like the Gordon Smith building or whatever. Mm. It's just a sort of fairly innocuous looking building. And he comes out through the double doors, gets in the car and um, we start driving over to this, uh, to this gig. And then we notice that he's just a bit off, just a bit altered, just like starts mentioning uh, some book that he was reading and he goes, Oh yeah, I was reading that, but I, reading that the other day but i couldn't see straight because i was on so much diazepam that it was melting in front of me and we share a look like oh this is going there's something is very not right here right so we turn up to the gig the gig has been cancelled uh the so the people are just having a barbecue in the back garden so they instead of them 
doing a gig inside to them, he sort of runs around and corrals them all and goes, yeah, we're still doing a gig. And so we do a gig under the security lights by the bins <laughs> to this, uh, to a mostly disinterested uh, group of people. He's going around uh, drinking, the promoter is going around drinking, like mind sweeping all the drinks. Right. And it was supposed to be clean. He'd not told us this. It was supposed to be clean comedy. So he uh, was, every time we uh, said a rude word, he'd, uh, hecklers with a wet um, penny whistle, right? And just uh, so give us a blast on that. But we were like, we don't know what is going on here. This is very weird. And then, so I text his mum because I've still got the message from the morning. Just like, we've got this uh, promoter, your son, and she's like, yeah, uh, I'm really glad to hear that because the police let us know when there was a jailbreak from the psychiatric ward, uh, which is where we'd come and picked him up from. I see. And basically, <laughs> he'd somehow a engine, like he'd ordered a pizza in to the psychiatric ward. As they turned up, him and two others had made an escape and we'd essentially been the getaway drivers. So uh, right. we then uh, we're like, so do you want him back at yours or do you want him back at, and she was like, yeah, the hospital, please. That would be really good. Mm. Uh, so we then have to drive back into uh, the city centre of Lincoln. There were police roadblocks because they literally shut down the city centre of Lincoln because uh, there was an escaped psychiatric patient who wow. we had in our car. Right? <laughs> so you can uh, deliver him to a roadblock. It's like, I believe this is the person you're looking yeah, for. Yeah, and that's it. So it's like just sort of sneaking past, just being like, because <laughs> obviously we were, we don't want to set him off. We don't want to, you know, mm. uh, so we eventually get there. And as it is, uh, we're like, okay, here we are. I think this is you now. This is, and he's wearing my, um, because he told us suit and boots, so I'm wearing. He's wearing my suit jacket because he'd been in the. And I was just as he was going in there, I was just like, I don't think I'm seeing that suit jacket again. <laughs> just, <laughs> and it was uh, it was really interesting because me and the co- the comedian were sort of like at the start, it had been a little bit sort of like a little bit fun. We knew that we were this wasn't quite right, but it was mm. a bit. You're like, oh, it's a it's a wacky road trip. It's a little bit of an event, and then we were just like oh, this is actually quite sort of emotionally exhausting and really tiring. And like, <laughs> so at least it's a memorable gig. There's that. Yeah, suppose, yeah. And so know. that's it when when yeah. I have to be like, oh, I really miss gigging. I have to mm. remember mm. not all of them. Yeah, <laughs> like, that's so, true. So sometimes you get like lovely rounds of applause and mm. uh, people are very nice and you get paid properly. And then sometimes you accidentally jailbreak a psychiatric ward. Well, uh, who knows what weird gigs and awful gigs we are avoiding by not being able to legally yeah. have any gigs right now. So there's one upside. Yeah. <laughs> you know, always you always looking for the, the silver. Lining. Absolutely. You've got to find it, haven't you? Um, last, mention your book again before we go then. What's your book called and where we can we find it? It's called um, But Doctor, I Am a Collection of Comics by Paul Savage. Uh, it is available on my website, which I've had redone specially. So that's savagecomic.com. Um and uh you can find me on twitter and facebook and instagram um uh trying to put comics out there uh comic is only a tenner and if you pay me a couple of quid extra i will uh draw a like a bespoke doodle for you in the front uh, in the front which i always do uh because it's always very interesting finding out what people are uh 
I think it's quite a, a good way to find out what people are like. If you mm. say, what would you like drawn in the front cover of the <laughs> book? And they'll say something weird. And you go, okay, cool. Or they'll just be like, I don't know, a flower? And you're like, okay, cool, I could do that. But some people have been like, I want me scoring in front of the cop, in front of um, microphones that are all screaming my name. You're like, yeah, I could draw that for you. That was, so, that was a genuine one, by the way. <laughs> really? So you pretend that you're doing them a favour, but really you're just stockpiling their weirdnesses in a large oh, yeah, file yeah. in your brain. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was. I did take pictures of all of them for ages and then did nothing with them. You need a nice lockdown to do something with those. That's the thing. You need a bit of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Great to chat. Thank you, Paul. Love to chat to you. I'll speak soon. Keep on creating. Wish you well. Cheers, buddy. Cheers, mate. Thank you, Paul Savage. Buy his book. Uh, buy my books. Listen to my other podcast, The British Broadcasting Century. And hey, if you do none of those things, then you are still very welcome. Thank you for being here. Part of this, listening to me saying to you that you are a good and you and you deserve happy days and happy things. And you're going to get some happy days and happy things. And if today's not one, then just wait. A bit longer. Can you see it? It's there on the horizon. Well... Till next time, it's me, Paul Carenza, saying thank you for catching up. May you farewell. (laughs) 